Amen. Good morning, friends. It's good to see you. It's, it's good to be with you all and, and worship together after Thanksgiving. And, and a, a big thanks to, to Jeff and our, our uh, music ministry folks for, for the wonderful uh, effort they're putting into um, not only our service today, but uh, um, our, our services throughout the year as well. Our second reading comes to us uh, from the letter to the Ephesians, and this is just near the very beginning of the letter um, at chapter 1, starting with the 15th verse. I invite you to listen for God's word. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. I do hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving, a, a great time with family and friends. Hope you ate some good food. Hope you had a, a nice moment just to relax and enjoy life together. I got thinking about holidays this week. We had Thanksgiving Thursday and then Black Friday you can call that a holiday, and Small Business Saturday and all that stuff, and Cyber Monday tomorrow. Uh, I got thinking about holidays and how, you know, if you listen to the radio or, or watch the news, you'll hear about, oh, it's National Such and Such Day, right? But some of my favorites being National Talk Like a Pirate Day, which is in September, um, National Donut Day. But I took a look at what today is. So I want to cordially wish you and your family a very happy National Cake Day. <laughs> I hope you find a special way to celebrate that. I looked at several of these sites, they, and, and each of them, they would vary a little bit, but just about every day had multiple holidays on it. One holiday I didn't see on it was our church day today, Christ the King Sunday, or a newer term for it uh, might be called Reign of Christ Sunday. It's a day that's kind of overlooked, uh, certainly by the rest of the world, but I'd say in the church we tend to overlook it as well. I mean, it is jammed in there right between Thanksgiving as well as Advent, the beginning of thinking about Christmas, and there's so many other things going on, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But be clear, it's a really important day, and it's, it's a message that we need to be reminded of each year. I know I certainly do. Christ the King Sunday is, is uh, among the newest uh, celebrations in the church calendar. It was um, started by Pope Pius XI in 1925. Um, and it, it's simply a day that, that says what it is. 
the church acknowledges Christ as Lord and King over all. Sounds like an innocent enough statement, right? But think about the time when the Pope made this, this statement and this declaration on behalf of the church. It's the time between the two world wars. And the Pope from the Vatican is also looking in his backyard and seeing a rising leader in Italy named Benito Mussolini, the fascist leader, who at the time began asserting that he had earthly supremacy. So think how bold of a statement it is for the church then and continued through the ages to say every year, Christ is Lord, Christ is King. No matter what happens on earth, Christ has the last word. This kind of leads us to our reading today, because that's the essence of our, of our little snippet from Ephesians that we hear today. Now, the letter to the Ephesians is written to the early church in Ephesus, a major port city in Asia Minor. Marie and I had the, the wonderful joy of visiting Ephesus uh, a good decade ago, and that was uh, such a great, great experience. If you walk through there, and it's, it's among some of the best preserved ruins in the ancient world, you'll see the vast diversity um, that existed in the ancient uh, Ephesus community between lots and lots of wealth, lots and lots of poverty. Um, some of the best preserved homes of the ancient world are there. And you get a little snippet of what's going on in the church in Ephesus at this time. This church, like many of the New Testament churches, began as, as a small kind of ragtag group of Jewish Christians finding a way to, to um, worship and live out the, the Christian life together. Throughout, as it goes on throughout the early decades, though, more and more Gentiles become uh, part of the community, and with that comes change. Now, the great American novelist Mark Twain said that the only person who likes change is a wet baby. <laughs> with change comes disagreement comes division, comes conflict. So in the early Ephesian church, you start to see some of this conflict. And it's, it's not as, as direct in the, the writing of, of Ephesians as in some of the other New Testament letters, but it's definitely there. So you can see that there's conflict, there's division within the walls of the church, but beyond the walls of the church, there's also a lot of turbulence and uncertainty. After all, these folks are living under Roman occupation. They're in a time where they're not sure uh, from, from one year to the next how persecuted they might become for their faith. But they're also living in a day and time where they are expected, as, as um, people living in a Roman area, they're expected to bow to the emperor, to pay homage to him. And at this time, the Roman emperors began thinking of themselves as gods. In fact, if you go to Ephesus today, you'll see a, a very uh, elaborate uh, temple, a preserved temple to the Emperor Hadrian. So there's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of turbulence. There's a lot of, you could say, uncertainty. Uncertainty about what the next years would, would hold, what the future of the church would look like. They needed some reassurance of well, friends, 2,000 years removed, we certainly live in different times, but I think we too need some of these similar reassurances. In the church and in the world, we're, we're facing so much conflict, so much division. Anytime we turn on the news, we're, we're um, bombarded with 
violent images from Israel and Gaza, from Ukraine, from other places throughout the world. We're constantly bombarded by images of division with, with among ourselves and our own community and nation. We see more and more hatred, more and more division. It gives us so much uncertainty about what's next, about what the future holds. Maybe it even makes us doubt who holds the future. Like the Ephesians, we need some reassurance of who's in charge, of who has the last word. That's exactly what the writer in our reading does today. Now, it's easy enough just to say it's Paul, but it's more likely a, a later a protege of Paul or maybe a scribe of Paul that writes this letter. And he addresses these, these concerns in a very gentle way. He begins by expressing gratitude for the Ephesians, for their faithfulness in challenging times. But then what does he do? He prays for them. Did you notice that? There, most of our reading today was a prayer. The, the writer prays to God on their behalf. And what does he pray for? That God would instill in them a spirit of wisdom. That they would understand, that they would grasp the hope to which they have been called. What is that hope? Hope in God's power. Hope in God's authority. Hope in God's power that was seen and given most clearly in Christ dying and rising from the grave and has been given onto Christ's body, the church. Or in other words, to them. They now possess this power. And with that comes the assurance that Christ is the name that is above every name that is named. That God has put under Christ's feet all powers, all authorities, all rulers, anything else in this world is subject to Christ's rule as King and Lord. In other words, what the writer of Ephesians is telling the, telling the, the good folks in Ephesus and us today that no matter what is happening in the world, no matter how dark things seem, no matter how much change or division or hatred or violence you see, no matter what, Christ is king. No matter what, Christ is Lord. No matter what, Christ will have the last word. And the brokenness of this world will be redeemed. And all will be one in Christ Jesus. Christ's reign rules over all. So friends, the question for us then becomes how, if Christ is king, if Christ is Lord, how do we live into that reign in this uncertain, chaotic, turbulent time? Well, as I told the children, we can live into this reign by seeing Christ in one another. In our first reading today, the one we all cringed hearing because it's such a challenging, uh, provoking text, Jesus says that you can see him in the faces of your neighbors, particularly your neighbors who are hungry, who are thirsty, your neighbors who are lonely or sick or hurting, your neighbors who are imprisoned, your neighbors who are refugees seeking asylum. 
you can see Christ's face in your neighbors. To live into Christ's reign means not only seeing Christ in the face of one another, but also reaching out in love and care to help your neighbors, especially those neighbors who are in need. Now, I think the reason we, we cringe hearing this text is because we know how far we fall short of what Christ commands in that passage, right? And given the, the, the text, we know how high the stakes are, although we're not going to dig too deep into that, but there's a lot of hyperbole going on there in, in that. Matthew's Jesus is one that is always calling Christ's followers to a higher righteousness, to try to live more and more to the ethical guidance of, of love and justice uh, of that work. So it's, it, it's always a work in progress. We're always kind of going more and more, taking more and more steps. So it is supposed to be challenging. It is supposed to, to trouble us, to want to do more, but it's not supposed to overwhelm us. It's impossible for us as one person or as one community or as one nation to help every single person in need though we should try. We should try to feed every hungry person in our midst. We should try to to visit every prisoner, every person who is sick or lonely. We should try to do that. Rather than being overwhelmed, Jesus' words here, and these are some of his last teachings to his disciples before he's arrested. These these teachings are supposed to... um, empower us and and energize us to go out to see Christ's face in one another and to to reach out in love and support of each other. I think another way we could take Jesus' words here is in, in reaching out in love and seeing Christ's face in one another is to simply go out and try to see and behold one another as fellow children See and behold one another as fellow children of God. To acknowledge each other, that our, our fellow, our, our shared humanness, that we all are God's beloved children together. I read a great story that really emphasizes this, this aspect uh, this week that I wanted to share with you. Walt Bettinger is the CEO of the investment bank, uh, Charles Schwab. And uh, Walt in his schooling was a, a straight-A student, worked really hard, as you could imagine, someone in his position would have, uh, to get where he was. And so he was in his last semester of schooling, and he was preparing for uh, the final exam in his, in his last business course. He studied the textbook front and back, memorized all of the, the theories and, and key ideas, and felt so ready for the exam. He went in to sit uh, to, to take that final exam and found nothing but a blank white piece of paper. The professor instructed the students, go ahead, you can turn it over. The other side's blank too. Then the professor went on to say, over the last 12 weeks, I have taught you just about everything I can about business. Your final exam is the most important lesson. What is the name of the lady who cleans this building? Walt, like many of his classmates, were shocked, stunned. They had seen this woman just about every day for the past 12 weeks, but Walt never uh, 
took a minute to get to know her or ask her her name. Her name was Dottie. And Walt uh, has gone on to say that that is the most important lesson in business as well as life that he's ever learned. And it's one that, that has guided him throughout his career. And I think it speaks volumes to, to the key message of our, of our reading and of the day today. Friends, in Christ's reign, names matter. People matter. Relationships matter. To live into Christ's reign means seeing one another as fellow children of God, to see the very image of Christ in our neighbors we meet, to see Christ even in your family member who took that last turkey drumstick from you this weekend, to see the image of Christ, the very face of Christ in your coworker with whom you disagree vehemently about political matters, to see the face of Christ even in your next-door neighbor who put, is putting up that gaudy Clark Griswold Christmas light display this weekend. But to live into Christ's reign means to especially see the very face of Jesus in your neighbors in need. To see the face of Jesus in your neighbors who are hungry, who are sick, who are lonely, who are marginalized and living on the, the very margins and ends of society without a voice. To live into Christ's reign means not only to see one another as, as fellow children of God, but to reach out in love and support. May we go and do just that, friends. And may we do that knowing full well that Christ is Lord, that Christ is King. 